If you or a loved one has a hoarding problem, let's work together on a solution. Thank you for stopping by the Hoarding Solution podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Keith McKeever, who is a realtor in the greater Peoria, Illinois area. He's done this work for quite a while and is an Air Force veteran, but is also working um, now to help people meet their residential real estate needs in his area. So thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Tammy. I'm happy to talk with you today and hear more about kind of your story and and how you are helping people today. It looks like you've done quite a bit of work um, over the years um, just in your capacity as a realtor as well as in volunteer roles. Yeah, I think uh, volunteering is something that I probably learned at a, at a young age and didn't realize until a couple of years ago. My grandmother was pretty involved in the community, church, stuff like that, volunteering. And, uh, you know, in the Air Force, you know, you're, you're kind of evaluated, you know, your, your annual evaluation on volunteering stuff. So that's where I kind of started getting a little bit more involved in volunteering. And when I got out, I still kind of felt like, well, you know, I want to do something, you know, what does that look like, you know, to give back to the veteran community. So I got involved in the Greater Peoria Honor Flight, taking vets to D.C. So I've been doing that. I've got my podcast on veterans issues, just trying to bring some awareness and conversation and, and hopefully I help somebody through whatever issues they're dealing with. And um, yeah, it's kind of, you know, volunteering is kind of my thing. Well, in the honor flights, that's really interesting. I mean, that's a great way to give back to some people who it seems when I've talked to some of the older veterans and generations is they don't feel appreciated and, um, and they struggle with some of the the things that they they had to do and so that's a great way to to give back how long have you been doing that uh about five years something like that five six years that i've been involved in that and uh yeah it really means something different to kind of each generation so the world war ii guys not that we find a whole lot of them anymore but uh those guys this is like the last trip of their life you know going Mm. to dc The, the memorial in dc wasn't dedicated i think until 2004 so it was which is crazy to think about that the greatest generation didn't have the memorial until that late into their lives. So a lot of guys haven't seen it. And so it's an opportunity for them to see that and then all the other great places we go. But, um, you know, so kind of just like that last trip for them, like a last chance to get out and go do something and see something great. A lot of those guys are well into their nineties. So they're probably not going to take too many more trips, at least, you know, not outside of their hometown, the Korean guys, you know, it's considered the forgotten war. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, it's, there's a lot of truth to that. So for them, it's, it's a way of saying, Hey, we haven't forgotten you. You know, we, we know you're still there. It's a much smaller generation, definitely not as much press as the Vietnam guys. And, and we all know what happened to Vietnam guys when they came home. So for them, it's a very healing opportunity to, to come home and get a real welcome home and realize that their service was appreciated. And, you know, that's about where we're at on taking guys. We're not into the, the younger generations for the most part. I will say our hub has taken a few people that uh, we've taken a couple of Desert Storm and Iraq War guys who unfortunately have some some issues or terminal issues or something like that that mm-hmm. bumps them up the list where they're not going to not gonna make it as long or not projected to at least. Mm-hmm. 
And I think what you mentioned is really the valuable piece of that is the healing that comes for, for everyone that, that needs it. You know, that that's a huge piece, I think of, of our journey and the giving back when you can help people heal from whatever they've gone through. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a lot of healing. You know, I think it's even healing, even heals the volunteers in some way, shape or form. Like Mm -hmm. you just, see the smiles on their face when they're there at the memorials and they're just having a great time or when they come back and they realize hey there's a crowd here for me like you know hey this is really cool mm-hmm. you know and, and you you just see that smile on their face and people just genuinely light up and it, it's worth the many hours and all the fundraising and all the stuff that we go through so it's really easy <laughs> to, <laughs> to get involved in that because you know that the, the payoff is that smile and that it means a little something different to each one of those guys. And they're all going to come back. You know, we've got one guy that I know that went a couple of years ago, had a lot of anger issues and stuff like that. And uh, right before he left, he got some cochlear implants and was able to really hear. And, uh, and that was a life-changing thing for him. But then he goes on the honor flight and comes and kind of comes back and just released a lot of those emotions. And his wife would be the first one to tell you, like, he's a totally different person, mm. like night and day difference. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so that's, you know, that's just one, one example of how it impacts people's lives. It's beyond that trip in some ways. And it's, well, I, the term I hear talked about a lot is radiant value. And you, and when you're making that, giving that person hope, you don't know how that's going to radiate out into their family and into their community. And, and so that's really an awesome thing to be a part of when you can. Yeah. Some of those, yeah. Yeah. Some of those guys, like they don't, I mean, they're involved in a few things, but we've had guys go. And then next thing we know, they're starting to sign up as volunteers. They want to be involved in some way and give back. And it's, that's awesome. Especially as a vet, like, okay, Hey, let's add more guys to the crew. You know, it takes a lot of people to make this happen. So the the more the merrier, if you want to be there, we want you there, you know? So let's, let's find a way to get everybody involved, make some money and make the mission happen. Now, Unfortunately, with COVID last year, you know, they, they had to shut all that down. And that's, that's, that's been hard on all of us that, that really look forward to. It, and it's a passion for us. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what this year is going to bring, but no doubt about it. Once the vaccine's out there enough and we get the herd immunity and everything gets, it gets safer, we will be back out there doing it and can't wait. So question is when. Right. And I think that's the issue for a lot of things like this and the nonprofits and stuff is, like they're, they've had to pivot so much into, they still want to provide, but, and virtual is amazing. I've met great people over this past year, but it's still not quite the same as doing the in-person things and connecting that way. So. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely like honor flights. One of those things you just, you don't get the whole experience. Like you could play people some videos and stuff like that, but they don't have the whole experience of the plane flight and the food and hanging out and just meeting other vets from all over the local area that they may or may not know. It's because it's funny because some people do know each other. Some people don't. And, you know, you kind of get that bond, you know, even us as, as uh, volunteers get a bond a couple of years ago, I was on a flight that got hit by lightning. Oh my goodness. (laughs) It was like, I think we'll have a bond forever. It was crazy. I had just closed my eyes and all of a sudden it's like this bang and open up and I, the medic was sitting next to me because we take a little medical crew. I was like, what was that? He goes, I think we just got hit by lightning. And I said, well, we're still flying. So that must be a good thing. <laughs> and it was wow. fine. It was fine. You know, I found out after that, the airplanes actually get hit by lightning pretty quick, uh, pretty often. 
I should know that being an Air Force vet, but I didn't because my boots were on the ground all the time. But yeah, yeah, uh, I hit, didn't know. They hit the wing. Yeah, it was very <laughs> common, evidently. Like one, like one flight out of every thousand or something like that gets hit hit by lightning. Something, something pretty close to that statistic. Wow, that is. Uh, it, it, guess... it sure was surprising, though, yeah. when you're like just close your eyes because, like, I've flown so many times, you know, right. I have my glasses off, and I'm just like, Boom. like, what the heck just happened? <laughs> I was like, did that happen when I closed my eyes? Like, what? what right? Did I come power from? to make that? I mean, that's why I turned to the medic. I'm like, what just happened? He goes, I think we got hit by lightning. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Yep. The key point is now. we're still in the air. So we're I still guess. Still in the air. Right. So that's a, that's a good sign. <laughs> so that, that bond though, and that collaborative spirit, I think is what helps people be successful after the military. It's what draws nonprofit you know nonprofit work together that that spirit of collaboration and and that result you know you're working toward that positive result and i see it in in business as well where the collaboration is what drives it forward versus on obviously there's competition but that doesn't mean you have to be fierce uh, you know you can still collaborate and find ways to move people forward together and I think that's where that heart of service comes in you know and so I know you've done you do some other work and I just was reminded that you were 2019 realtor of the year when I was looking at your website and I was like that's pretty amazing so um just in in our chats and I was honored to be a guest on your podcast that like I can totally see how, how you could be chosen for that. I'm kind of glad you can, because I'm still, and it was 2019. So it was two years ago now, because that, that award ceremony is usually in January, February ish. And I'm still amazed because I think it goes back to like the 1970s or something when they started giving those out. And I look at all the other names, uh, cause I'm very involved in my association of realtors on the board of directors committees and stuff. So out of 750 or so realtors in my area, there's maybe maybe 10%, 15% that really volunteer a lot, right? You, mm-hmm. That's common in any organization. Not everybody wants to volunteer, and that's, that's fine. That's that's their thing. Um, but I, you know, when I got into business, I decided to sit on different committees to get an idea of what these committees are, what's going on behind the scenes, like governmental affairs, contracts. Like contracts and forms is a perfect one. I was young first fresh into business. And yes, my mother's my business partner. She gave me great training, but I said, you know, if I'm in the room when they make these decisions and they talk about the contracts, I could get a much bigger and broader view of what does all these things mean, you know? And so I sat on that committee and all these other ones. And I didn't think anything of it. And I was just kind of just doing my thing. Oh, well, I'll sit on this committee for a couple of years and I'll sit on that. And then all of a sudden they just made me realtor of the year, which totally just blindsided me. I did not see it coming. I, uh, my wife, I knew she was kind of hiding something because uh, she was kind of talking to my, my mom behind the scenes and asking some strange questions about like all the different things you're involved in, you know? <laughs> so I was like, this is kind of weird. These questions are coming out of left field, you know? And that night I was like, there's something weird. Other agents in my office were sitting at the table that never come to events. So I'm like, Something weird's happening here. I don't know what. Can't put my finger on it, but something's weird because these guys are never here. 
and they start going through the awards like random act of kindness and outstanding community service and i'm like well i mean i'm like maybe i'm getting something for that like i had done some volunteer work for building some wheelchair ramps i'm like maybe that was something like you know i mean just another it was like a one one or two day event like maybe that's maybe they threw me in that category you know those come and gone and i'm like hmm, i guess i didn't win anything maybe it was just weird that all these things are adding up to something strange in my mind red flags going off everywhere and then they start getting to the realtor of the year at the very end of the script and they're like you know graduated from farmington high school class of 2003 and i remember sitting there thinking well that's a heck of a coincidence somebody else in my high school class is, is a realtor as well didn't know that and then 30 seconds later i'm like oh crap they're talking about me i was like there's no way i won this i'm like i can't you know and then they just start reading a script of my life and military service and i'm like you gotta be kidding me because i know the other names that are on there and i have a ton of respect for all those individuals and I, i'd say there's probably 25 of me there's either in the business or still alive that i know of and some of them i don't know who those people were but but I'm like, you're going to throw my name up there on that list. Like that's a heck of an honor. And I, it, I still don't feel like it belongs. It just doesn't seem right. Uh, but some, somebody somewhere voted to, to, to put me on that list. So I'm, I'm very proud of it, but I'm still, still in shock even two years later. I mean, I just do it because I was just serving on committees. Right. And <laughs> you were all I was doing up and doing what, was just showing up and hard? doing what needs to be done. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I don't think that's something that anybody should get an award for really. I mean, I think that's just what everybody should be expected to do. Like I said, not every, not every realtor wants to serve on committees and that's fine. It's something I, I get a lot of, of, you know, I get a lot of reward of sitting in there. I get a lot of knowledge out of it and a lot of networking and get to know a lot of, a lot of my realtors. Cause you said something earlier about competitors and collaborators. And like, that's a perfect example on real estate. I'm competitors with all these people, but when we sit on those committees and we're doing something for the advancement of private property rights or advancement for the industry or, or deciding what technology piece we're going to roll out to make realtors jobs easier. Well, at that point we're collaborating, we're working together. It's, it's all about the collective vision, not individual division, uh, you know, business ideas and stuff. So that real estate is very, you know, one, one moment you're, one moment you're a competitor, next moment you're sitting at a table trying to collaborate together. So, and that's why I view it as like, that's just what we should be doing. So that's why I feel like I don't deserve it. But I, I think it's a beautiful thing when you just, you go about a harder service, you're doing, you know, what you can, you're making improvements, you're listening, you're trying to find solutions to things as they come up and then to be recognized for that and that wasn't your intent in any way, that is just, that's like the cherry on the, the top, you know, that you were acknowledged, that your peers saw that. And so I, I get that it can be hard to accept <laughs> that someone is like, hey, you, you know, you were just doing your it thing, is. you know? Well, I mean, it, you know, the Air Force core values are integrity first, service before self and excellence in all we do. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was always born and raised to, you know, do everything right the first time, you know, so you don't have to do it again. Uh, it didn't take long in my life for me to figure that out because I hated doing stuff over again. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, it was always, you know, so it fit in line with what I, the way I was raised, you know, integrity first, you know, tell the truth, be, you know, be honest and all that stuff. But the service before self, like all three of those core values, I've always, ever since I enlisted in 2006, that's always been like front and center in my mind of like, that's 
how you live life. And I think all the branches and their, their core values, while different, are kind of roughly the same. And so, but like service before self, you know, one of the first lessons I learned in the military is, is take care of your troops, take care of everybody else first before you take care of yourself. And that's kind of just how I live, you know, like if, if you get food and you're passing out food as a, as a, as a leader, troop leader, I mean, you can use this example in other ways, but if you're passing out food, all of your, all of your troops, everybody around you should eat first before you, you should not grab a plate of food until everybody else is eaten. And if that means you get a biscuit and everybody else is getting a five course meal, then you get a biscuit. And that's just one of my core philosophies in life. Like make sure everybody else is taken care of before you. And it's to me, that is how leadership is like leadership is leading with that example, leading from the front, showing other people what servant leadership is, if you will. And I, like I think of it in terms of like somehow I can always make the grilled cheese sandwich perfectly for everybody else. I make mine last and I burn it. I swear <laughs> it never fails, but I, I'm at a place where I would rather serve you the good one. And I'm okay that this is the one I'm going to eat. You know, I'm still eating. Right. <laughs> but in those situations, like it doesn't mean you have to eat bad because if True. you really serve everybody, right and you come at the right place of value, and you're taking care of your people, your people will respect you, you'll respect them, and they're going to, you know, treat you in kind. So, I mean, just use the five-course meal thing, like, doesn't mean you're going to end up eating just a biscuit. If you're really taking care of your people in a leadership role, those, what are those people going to do? They're going to say, man, I can't let my, my leader over here right. uh, eat just a biscuit. I'm going to give them uh, half my steak, and uh, this guy's going to give him half, you know, his baked potato. Potato, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? The same thing with MREs in the military. Like, well, I'm not going to let this guy just, uh, you know, eat, uh, eat the coffee packet. Let's give him, uh, let's give him the eggs. <laughs> Shouldn't joke about the egg omelets. <laughs> so well, something only veterans would get. <laughs> they're for any civilians that happen to watch or listen, but they're terrible. You don't want the egg omelet. <laughs> they're green and that's all you need to know. But <laughs> Green eggs and ham for real. Yeah, for real, for real. That's the only place you can get them. And you don't want to try it. So. Well, but that, you're right. When you are showing up as a leader and you are ensuring that people are being taken care of, that, and, and I think there's an idea that you have to have a certain title or a certain role, you know, rank or rate. And I don't think that's true. I think you can lead from any role any position and some of the most common things i hear is i go to this thing and i get volunteered to lead yep i can relate to that because you're there you whatever task it is you're fully present and you're there and you're ready to do it and so people seem to see that in you and then all of a sudden now you're you're leading in this whatever scenario you're in and but I think it's a skill that really translates, you know, and like the, or the idea of cross training so that if, if this person, God forbid, falls out, the next person can kind of step into that. And I see in business, a lot of people who like, they want to scale, but everything they have is on a piece of paper on their desk. And it's not anywhere where they could share it easily 
um, with their virtual assistant or any of their teammates or, and I've struggled with it myself, like who, who would step into this if I don't put it somewhere? And so I see how leadership translates into a lot of the things that we're doing. How do we make it easy for other people to step in if they need to. And I'm not quite sure where that thought came yeah, from, but. <laughs> you, you have a good point though. What happens if you're not here tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Like for your business, uh, if you're not here tomorrow, somebody's going to have to step in and either shut the business down or run it, whatever. But if you, if everything's a mess and it's random papers, they're just going to be fumbling through all these papers over here being like, okay, what did Tammy do with this? Uh, what's her password for this? Like, how do I get in and shut this service off or where you're going to keep running the business? Like, where's the order forms? How do I do this? What do I need to do? Mm -hmm. What's the steps and the processes to, to make it happen? And, and literally going to be putting people like five steps behind if there's not somebody that doesn't already at least have an idea of what's going on or, or right. know where to get the information. And I see that it just a lot, even within families who all of a sudden have to step into some kind of a, a role dealing with their property or the estate or something like that where all of a sudden now you're kind of scrambling to at least figure out some aspect of what you need to deal with, you know, but I see that leadership and that creating, you know, standard operating procedures, it is a really valuable skill to bring into business, to bring into the conversations that you have, even like with your clients, you know, how do you, how do you navigate some of those conversations? Do you have any suggestions for people who are trying to deal with a housing situation like when should we call you <laughs> when would you prefer to be involved <laughs> <laughs> well if you're tying this into hoarding um yeah it's i guess that really depends on the person in, in the situation like when when the realtor should get involved because I'm going to say most of the time we're, we're kind of involved at the tail end of it where most things have been cleaned up and they can assess the property. Is it safe? Is it clean? You know, is there any kind of other hazards or anything else that, you know, needs to be taken care of before putting it on the market? Cause our job is to market the property, put the sign in the yard, work on the marketing materials, you know, it's a seller's job to prepare the house and have everything ready to go, but it's our job to market it, put it in the MLS handle the negotiations, get it sold, get it close. So everybody's happy and goes on their way. Um, but when you have a hoarding situation or something like that, it, that definitely complicates things because not house may not be safe. It may not be clean, bad first impressions, whatever the case may be, but you got to have those convers those tough conversations. So it doesn't need to be like at the end because I don't think anybody ever really gets to the end or, or knows what that end goal is. So maybe about halfway through the process for in most cases, like, once the problem is identified and the, the owner or occupant is in the process of cleaning things up and some things are in motion mm -hmm. where we as realtors can come in and say, okay, what is your end goal? You want to sell the house? You want to rent the house out, whatever. And here's where we are now. What is your vision for the end? Like, do you want the house completely empty and nobody there? Like, is that the goal? You know, put it on our market then, or are you going to get it 75% emptied, or are you going to get it so it's clean and livable, or are you going to empty the place and rehab it? You know, what, what does that end goal look like? And then you can kind of say, okay, here's where we are now. Here's point A, here's point B. How are we going to get there? You know, what's it look like? And, and kind of develop a plan with the parties that are involved and how are you going to get there? So I'd say generally, you know, most mostly about halfway through. 
because you got to get past that first hurdle. Cause I know me and you have talked, you came on my podcast and talked about hoarding. So like you got to get past that stage where that occupant or that person with a hoarding issue has mentally prepared themselves to go through the process. Cause if they haven't prepared themselves to go through the process, they're not going to, and you're never going to sell the house because no, right. I mean, I, I would, I wouldn't even take the listing personally if it wasn't safe for somebody to walk through the house. And that's the, the piece of it, particularly if the person with the hoarding issue is not keyed into how bad it can be, <laughs> you do have a challenge in helping them get to the place where they understand, like, we can't even figure out what the repairs are yet because we can't see the floor or we can't access that room. So you're not even at a point where a realtor could even walk through and see, hey, you could just paint here or you could, you know, this is about ready for photos or whatever. Like you can't even do that until you've kind of gotten through that mindset of, hey, this is what the result that we're aiming for, you know? So it's really true that that mindset piece and talking with that person is really key in setting the stage for the next steps. And uh, but I also like what you said about the planning piece, because, you know, at about halfway through, you probably hopefully had a conversation, gotten some traction, you know, they're allowing things to leave, the person that whores that is, and then you're able to say, okay, now we want to bring in Keith to talk about the next steps to get it ready for market, you know, so I can definitely see why you would want there to be movement before you're yeah, called in yeah i think like once you get to about that halfway point whatever that looks like in a particular mm -hmm. property they have already agreed to make the steps and they've already made those steps and they probably got past that mental hurdle mm -hmm. for the most part of, of getting rid of some of the things that they've that they've hoarded and and they might be entering that i guess i'll say normal normalcy state of like the, the path that they're on of like okay hey we're doing this we're cleaning we're actively right. going at it and they've kind of locked, let their guard down a little bit and they're they're clearly on the path and, and doing okay if they're still kind of like yeah you know i don't know this keyboard or the mouse which am i what am i keeping you know i think you need to be beyond that point a little bit to be like nope those are clearly gone that's clearly staying you know past the whole fuzziness in the head of like i don't know what i'm gonna keep i don't know what i'm gonna get rid of i don't want to get mm -hmm. rid of all this I don't want to get rid of the, uh, the, the eight foot stack of newspapers in the corner. I like them like, no, that's not going to help sell the house. You know, if there's something sentimental in there because uh, an obituary or a news article about mm -hmm. yourself, then find it and keep it for sure. But you know, you gotta, you gotta address those issues and be on a path, a clear path to success. <laughs> right. And really be working on that. And sometimes, well, in some of the work I've done where, it's not necessarily recommended, but sometimes it is what needs to happen where you can move your stuff out. Like just, you know, that you need to deal with it at some point, but I kind of only recommend that if you're working with like an organizer or someone who is actively helping you downsize, you know, but if you need to list the house, one option is to at least get it, get it out, get the stuff out. And Again, it's not necessarily the best route, I don't think, especially if it's severe clutter. But if it's, I guess my other thing on that is sometimes people are dealing with, 
a housing situation, but it's not hoarding necessarily, you know, their, their older parent needs to downsize or, you know, something like that. Um, and so do you, do you talk with family members? Like if they're trying to plan something like that, you know, or at what point should someone include you in that type of conversation? If, because thankfully not everyone has a hoarding problem. <laughs> yeah. It, it kind of depends on what the situation is and like the parties involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do find sometimes where somebody will call you out and you start talking to somebody and then you realize you start picking, I mean, when you deal with people and customer service type jobs, you, you get to read people sometimes mm-hmm. and then you'll, you'll pick up that, Hmm, this lady, there's, there's something else going on here. Mm-hmm. Like there is another party. So sometimes you have to be like, okay, so do you have any adult children? Is there anybody else involved in this? Mm-hmm. Is there any, you know, um, even if, if somebody has passed away and it's one person trying to sell their parents' house. Okay. Are you the only executor of that estate? Right. Are there other decision makers involved? Mm-hmm. Who needs to sign and who doesn't need to sign the deed and the and 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 all the documents for closing, right? Like you got to know who all those parties are. Mm. The more parties there are, the generally <laughs> the harder it gets. Mm-hmm. Um because if it's one or two people, it's sometimes not that bad. If you got three or four people that are siblings and their parents have both passed away and they're trying to sell the house, sometimes you get in these situations where three out of the four parties are like, you know what? Yep. We agree. The house is worth a hundred thousand dollars and uh, let's just sell it. I don't really care how much we sell it for. It, there's no mortgage on it. Right. Like let's just sell it and we'll take with whatever comes our way. Then sometimes you get that, that fourth party. That's like, Nope, Nope. We got to sell it for a hundred thousand. We're not selling for a penny less. I don't care. That's what you say it's worth. Matter of fact, let's list it for one fifteen. <laughs> you know, and it's like, you know, that one person just tries to, you know, just kind of derail the whole situation for whatever reason. They might have their own personal reasons. Like, you know, maybe they want the money out of it, or maybe they're just like a, a numbers person and they're like, nope, you say it's worth a hundred. Let's get a hundred for it. Let's why sell it for less, you know? Don't care how long it sits on the market, let's sell it. But yeah, you just kind of you gotta first assess like who all the parties are. Mm-hmm. And then you have to say what's the goal is if it's property in the state, okay, let's sell it and most likely sell it as is. It depends if they have any money, you know, is there things that need to be fixed up? So, you know, if it's an older person downsizing, then you've got normally, you've got the, okay, what are you doing with your stuff? Where are you moving to? Are you moving into an assisted living facility? Okay. How much space do you have? When are you looking to move? Right. You know, when is that facility open? Because, you know, they have random openings. Sometimes they might let two people in this month, maybe none next month. So what's that window look like? And you just kind of got to play it by ear, you know, figure out what that timeline looks like, what needs to be done. Is there a bunch of stuff in the house? Like you said, maybe it's hoarded, maybe it's not, but I don't care who you are. If you're downsizing, you're probably going, you're, you're probably going to have to get rid of 25% of your stuff, mm-hmm. you know, roughly as a minimum. Because if you're not getting rid of 25% of your stuff when you're downsizing, are you really downsizing much? <laughs> right. And how crowded will your new space be? If exactly. You- it's kind of like a lateral move at that point if it's not at least like 25% of your right. stuff. <laughs> I, mean, I think most people, you know, probably get rid of about 50% of their stuff. But you got to have that conversation too. That's something I don't think most people realize about like real estate. Like, okay, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Seller are going to go into an assisted living facility and they've got a thousand square foot house with Full, full of stuff, three bedrooms, 
two baths, all that stuff in a garage. It's like, okay, well, what you're moving into is, is 500 square feet. So what are you doing with the rest of the stuff? Mm-hmm, exactly. You're going to have an auction because if you're going to have an auction now, I need to, you know, if it's listed now, let's, you know, not let anybody show it for those two or three days, or you're going to put stickers on everything that says, Hey, this is for sale. So if you're a buyer and you come through, maybe you don't like this house, but you like the chest of drawers, it's available. Shoot me an offer. You know, there's all kinds of crazy things you do, but you got to just know what the full picture is. That's the key. Mm-hmm. Knowing the full picture. Unfortunately, not everybody's always willing to just right up front, just give you that full picture. <laughs> Sometimes you kind of got to dig and pry a little bit and figure out what's what exactly is going on. Same thing with the motivation for moving, you know, like, is it financial? Maybe it's not strictly a, Hey, we need to downsize because we're physically at a point where we can't handle this property anymore. Can't do the stairs. Mm-hmm. It's too big for us to maneuver around need, you know, an assisted living facility. Uh, maybe it's financial, like you just can't financially handle the house anymore. And now I have to go to something smaller you know, or, or the, or the government, you know, in a, in a supporting situation, maybe the property is being condemned and you've got to move, you've got to get everything out, you know, and then, you know, properties either got to get repaired or, or torn down and now you got to sell the lot, you know, mm-hmm. it's a full picture thing. And I think exactly what you're saying is you have to look at the whole picture. You have to figure out, you know, all the parties involved and then figure out what your plan is. And I think, that it's really important to be aware of that, that you need to plan for it. But you also have a great point about downsizing the amount of stuff that you have. You know, if you're moving to a smaller spot, you really have to assess um, what you're taking (laughs) and what you can sell or donate or, you know, and I mean, I see people really want sometimes especially some of the older folks, they want to pass along their China hutch or some of their bigger items. And they get a little upset if, if their kids or grandkids don't want to take those items, but it's, it's almost a generational thing. And in a lot of ways, people are living in smaller spaces and they don't have the capacity to take that stuff with them. And so, maybe it's a style difference, right? I mean, how many people really don't like their parents' style of, of furniture and decorations? <laughs> I know I don't, but you know, I give my mother a hard time being my business partner. We've gone into a lot of houses with carpet from the seventies. Right. And every time I see shag, I, I kind of give her this look and I think she knows what I'm about to say, but like, how on earth did you ever think this was cool? <laughs> like, like, <laughs> I don't get it. It was cool at one point in time. 60s and 70s, I get it. Everything was like, you know, avocado green or pink or orange. Orange. Actually, the, the orange isn't too bad. I, I, I don't mind the, the burnt orange a little bit, but, but <laughs> you know, some of the fake brick and some of the stuff like that. Some of it's really cool. I actually used to hate it. But as years go on, like I go into houses. Um, I know we both live in like mid-century, you know, 1950s, 60s houses, but sometimes you go into them and you're like, when I first got into business, I was like, no, I like everything cool and trendy. And now I'm kind of like, man, I really appreciate it when I see some cabinets from the 1950s that are in good shape, you know, and, and you see some of these older things like, wow, this is really cool. Like, especially if it's been kept up, but, but there's things like pink bathrooms. I laugh at every single time. I hate, I hate to, I've laughed in front of buyers. I will flat out admit it. Um, when I'm showing a house and it's a pink bathroom, cause they're probably going to make a comment about it too. It's not for everybody. Some people might like pink, good for you, you know, decorate how you want, but (laughs) But, my grandmother had a pink bathroom growing up and it was hideous. (laughs) Well, and that's, you know, it it is different taste and different generation. And, 
And like, I've always, you know, at the time I bought a house, I looked at like new houses and I was like, oh, I want one with history. And so I got that. All right. Um, but some of the the structure, like I have hardwood floors and some of underneath it is like cross beams, you know, I mean, just the way that homes were built were different, or you might have built-ins that a lot of houses don't have now, you know? And so I do appreciate and probably spend far too much time looking at houses, <laughs> you know, looking, oh, look, I'd love to incorporate that type of thing in my house or whatever, but it's, um, you should, you should know how bad it is as a realtor. <laughs> I've said for years, I'm never going to buy another house. I'm just going to build one. But then the moment I think about that, I'm like, man, I've seen a lot of cool things in houses. I've seen a lot of terrible things. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, if I build one, it's going to, it's going to be almost impossible for me to ever lay out a plan. Cause I'm the same way. Like I like the built-ins. I think I would want a built-in somewhere. I don't know where in my house plans I'd put a built-in, <laughs> but I'm going to have one somewhere, you know, it's just like, okay, it's going to have this, 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 and this. And it's like, boy, that's going to bust my budget pretty quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Might have to settle for something. <laughs> and so I, and I get the, the house thing. I mean, I just, I, I think I enjoy houses more than a lot of other, you know, I find that a lot of realtors are that way too. Like they're, the housing piece is really, you know, you're figuring out um, what you like, I think, on the journey and then deciding what you'd want to pull in to whatever you have. So um, I think it's good to keep an open mind about what's possible sometimes even with the older home or and even if you have stuff that you want to give to people you know I suggest that you choose who that is you know if you possibly can and maybe like I had uh I family in Iowa and I had the opportunity to get my great grandma's piano and I was like um I don't have anywhere to put a piano um I don't want to drive it across how many states and so I just said, as cool as that would be, maybe there's someone in locally that might like that, you know, piece of history. But um, I think it it's kind of cool to learn about your family that way. But I also think it's fine to 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 not accept something if it doesn't fit with your life or whatever. And I think sometimes that can be a challenging conversation um, if you're a, a kid who doesn't like you're not trying to be disrespectful you're just saying i don't have room for for this thing yeah i don't have room or it doesn't fit with my style and and sometimes you know if you're the one that's trying to downsize or get rid of something like you have the sentimental value maybe you right you just purchased it maybe it was handed down if you got to get rid of it i mean this may sound crazy just make a handwritten letter that goes with it like if you're going to sell it to somebody and say this is a 150 year old end table and it's been passed down for five generations of your family. You knew exactly where it was built and who built it and when. Like make a little letter that goes with it and then sell it on the marketplace and sell it to somebody who might really, you know, appreciate that style and include the letter with them and say, hey, by the way, this was in my family for a really long time. Here's a letter that I wrote about the information I know about the piece. I love historical pieces. I don't have a historical home, but I think that would be really cool if I bought something. And then maybe, I don't know, maybe that person would just feel good knowing that their family story has passed along with that furniture to somebody who appreciates it. Just as a, a tip I literally just made up off the top of my head that might, you know, might make that easier to get rid of a piece of furniture by knowing, because sometimes it, 
it'd be hard to get rid of something if it's in your family history and nobody in your family wants it. I can understand how that'd be hard. Right. I never had to be in that situation, but that'd be tough. And I really like that letter idea. And you can also take a photograph of, of that item and, you know, you could keep a copy of that letter and put it in a little notebook or something if you're trying to, you know, keep maintain some of your memories, you know, but that, and you can still have all, all the memories. You just don't have the item anymore. But I really, and there are some people that really would love to have that historical piece, you know, and to know that story. So I think that's a great idea. Yeah. I'm glad you like the idea because I literally made it up right off the top of my head. <laughs> but, you know, understanding where that comes from, I think is valuable. And, and a lot of people, like, I think we need a piece of that history. Like I am, I'm looking at some of the stuff I'm downsizing and I'm like, well, uh, I have like nine things that I don't really care, but I'm keeping the rocking chair and the table because that was my grandma's. Like she directly gave it to me um was it historical before that probably not but i have that attachment to it but other things i'm like i don't really but like if i did sell the table that'd be a great idea to say hey this is this is where this came from and here you know but i think that's a great idea i like it <laughs> yeah i mean i would appreciate it but i'm a fan of history and, and we've right. talked previously like i'm into ancestry stuff so i think it, you know myself would be really cool if mm -hmm. i bought uh, you know chest of drawers on facebook marketplace you know some antique piece because it would fit in my house for some reason and to have some letter that i could you know maybe laminate and put in a drawer so i could look mm -hmm. at it and be like oh this is nice that this came you know i bought this from tammy and this was tammy's great grandparents chest of drawers that they they bought in 1890 you know mm -hmm. or something like that like it, it would just be kind of cool then you'd have the information on it like oh well i know this thing's 100 and something years old and just an idea if it helps somebody, you know, get over that hurdle, because and the detachment, yeah, it, I think it would help. It can help detach, help you detach from it, you know, and, and you're a little less afraid. I think that no one else is going to care about this piece, you know. You're you're able to kind of release it in a way that that, and you're gifting it. Like you can't use it anymore, right? So you're gifting it in a way to someone who can use it, and. Um, and you're still kind of choosing to release it and you're not being forced to, whereas sometimes people get to a point where they're forced to do something they don't want to do. And if you're still at a point where you can make that decision, then definitely you should be doing that. Mm -hmm. So how do people reach you for more great ideas and assistance with their needs? Well, if they have any questions, you can, uh, just reach us. You go to my website, uh, www.mhghomes.com, uh, or you can search at MHG Homes on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube. We, we pretty much got it all out there. So, you know, feel free to send us a direct message on any of those platforms or contact us through our website. Well, thank you for being here. And I'll make sure we have uh, connection points in the show notes so people can, can, can find you. And I just thank you for, for your time and your wisdom and sharing with us your journey. No problem. Thanks for having me. The Today I Decide Mental Health Summit will be held virtually on Saturday, April 3rd, 2021. This summit is designed to provide hope and to show others that they are not alone in overcoming 
mental health challenges. Mental health issues plague many people in our world, and we may not always know that until it is too late. This summit is bringing awareness to mental health issues, providing a place for discussion, awareness, and resilience solutions. We've got many amazing speakers uh, lined up sharing their stories of overcoming struggle and resilience. I'm very honored to be one of the speakers for this amazing event. I invite you to join us. You can find more information with our hashtag, Today I Decide, and you can also find more details and check out the great sponsorship options at veteranssocialsummit.com. Thank you so much for being willing to be a part of the solution.